The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, happy to have you along with us on this edition of Afternoons with Mike. We've got another couple of programs yet to come from the NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters. I had a chance to talk to a lot of voices that you know and maybe even hear every day here on The Shepherd, one of which we'll have for segment one today, Shanna Burt. At the NRB, and what a treat it is for me to have a voice with me sitting across the table from me. And this is Shanna Bird, who is heard every day here on The Shepherd. Shanna, it is so great to see you, finally to meet you, although we did meet very briefly at a very difficult occasion, the uh, homegoing funeral for Dan Celia. Met you that day, but that was a difficult day. It was. And it is so great to have you on. You guys have rebounded. You've got Seth with you here in the background, and I hear your voices every day. Uh, number one, there's an old saying that says it's difficult following a legend in sports. <laughs> you you followed a legend in the financial world of broadcasting, which Dan led so well in. But let me just say, you're you're doing it, and you're doing it well. Uh, thank you for that. Thanks for having me. It it is a big set of shoes to fill, but you know God is faithful, and He calls. He equips the called. Yeah, I like that. You say that often on your program when I'm, I'm listening to you. He, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And that is something that we all need to get out there. Now, you deal with all of the things that a lot of us that are on Christian teach talk uh, radio stations and television stations. Uh, but you have this side angle, if you will, or a, a, a niche that would be about finances and particularly how to be a financial investor in a world like today. That's got to be something you have to work hard to keep up on. It is. But, you know, we make it really easy at the ministry. I mean, our heart is that we have a conviction to honor God in every area of our lives. We believe in um, in stewardship in every area, not just in finances, even though that's where we tend to specialize in the financial issues of life. Mm -hmm. Now, you worked with closely with Dan. I would listen to you. You were like a co-host uh, a lot of times with him. Uh, the, the guy was a machine, wasn't he? I mean, he three hours a day. Oh, yes. How did he do that? <laughs> I still don't know. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't require much sleep, which is a lot different than... <laughs> than me and my schedule. But I met Dan about 10 years ago. Uh, I was in private practice at the time. I still am. But I came across his program one day. I got in the car during lunch, and he was on the radio, and he was talking about all of the things that were in my wheelhouse, the mutual funds and investing. And so I'll, it always catches my attention. And he said something about biblically responsible investing. And I thought, well, what in the world is that? And that just um, led me down a journey. My heart was convicted once I learned what it was and that uh, some of the things that I was invested in, invested my clients' money in. And, you know, we have two choices whenever we hear the truth. We can either ignore it or we can follow it. But mm -hmm. in my experience, anytime the Lord ever speaks to my heart, um, I never quite get peace until I do what he's asking me to do. Obedience is so important. It is. Yeah, it's much better than sacrifice. And speaking of that, uh, the, that form of investing, Art Alley is on my program regularly. He's a buddy and was with him today in the lunchroom. Hamilton did such a nice job of pulling together a wonderful lunch on my dad. That was yes. great. Getting to see a lot of the people. I just uh, a while ago did the interview with Alex McFarland, who was there. And I know you guys, it's its almost like a little uh, a fellowship that you have together of people who are on the radio, as you are day in and day out, who are taking the gospel. And even though and maybe in different ways or uh, slightly different paths, you guys are doing it all together. And I really appreciate that. Absolutely. But There's a lot of ground to cover. So there really you know, is. God has a calling for everyone. Yeah. We just have to tune in and and listen and find out what that is and just be willing to be obedient. I mean, God can use anybody. I'm proof of that. Well, in indeed. And uh, I know that 
my buddy Art, he thinks the world of you and really is a, a, a great resource, a great friend. And again, uh, I, I, it was a very sad occasion when we lost Bonnie, his wife, yes. recently. So it's been a rough couple of years here, mm-hmm. uh, more than just those two, Dan and Bonnie, uh, going to meet the Lord. But it makes heaven a lot more sweet for those of us left behind. It does. And it shows God's faithfulness, too, because, you know, even when... Um, people who have devoted their lives and their time and their talent and treasure to uh, furthering God's causes in the earth, even when he takes them home, he, he leaves someone there to pick up the mantle yeah. and to continue the work. And so God shows his faithfulness even in those those kinds of things. It really is true. And uh, you guys are, are really... Following again a wonderful pattern, and I, I just wonder how in the world you are able to do their private practice because there's a lot of prep. People don't realize uh, the the amount of pressure it takes. I I know even after an hour program, I'm exhausted. I don't know how you guys did that three hour one, but it, it it does. It takes a lot out of you because you have to put so much into it before you ever do it. And that's what you do as well. It makes for a long day. So I get up really early. Um, by the time the show is over at 9 a.m. Central Time, I'm, it's like lunchtime for me. Mm-hmm. But I do, um, I still am in private practice. I haven't taken any new clients in, in a couple of years, although I do have another financial advisor that works with me now, and he's taken on new clients. But, um, you know, I still have that those clients to to serve and but the the work of the ministry and the work of the practice overlap a whole lot because we do the investment strategy which is exactly what I use in my practice so that's right it's it's good that it overlaps some (laughs) well there's so many aspects and it's in the news daily uh, on the whole talk about uh, currency that might be changing going digital uh, Biden's recent uh, statements about wanting to move us that direction uh, it's enough to cause the average American who has worked hard I know I have a, a retirement account uh, a lot of us that are there I'm actually at retirement age myself I crossed the big 70 just um, a couple of weeks back and with all of this that's going on I would think there is a uh, just a ton of stuff to keep up with if you're in your shoes. So when you hear the talk like that coming from the government, what thoughts hit your mind? Um, The thoughts that uh, the scripture tells us, you know, these things are going to happen. If we, I think revelations is probably one of the topics that most Christians would rather just kind of forget about uh, for a season. But you know, the scripture tells us that things are going to get hard. We're eventually going to have some really, really hard choices to make. There's persecution coming. There's all kind of awful things that we in our flesh would consider awful things. But, you know, God uses everything, especially the awful things, Mm -hmm. to draw men unto him. And so, you know, people get really um, anxious. They get really concerned when it comes to their money. And I was reading through a lot of the questions for the interviews and, you know, consistently over and over how should christians be thinking about their money and i just kind of chuckle and i told seth is this a setup you know because it's like christians should not be thinking of it as their money so many times we are so deceived because if we get our retirement statement in the mail if we get our bank statement if we look at our the title to our car and our house it all says our name on it but we constantly have to remember Psalm 24, 1. It says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here's something to make this really easy. If it's not yours in the first place, you can't lose it, right? So that should bring some peace to some people. But as human beings, we get so, we're creatures of habit and we don't like change. We're resistant to change. But when COVID first happened and the market dropped off by about 30%, started getting these phone calls, um, not only in private practice, but on the air, people concerned, what do we do? How do we save ourselves? And so I started praying about it. And, you know, what, what I felt the Lord telling me was, don't forget, I created you. It is my responsibility to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And because I'm sovereign, I get to do it in whatever way I want to do it. So I can do it through your paycheck, your social security, your pension, all of those things that you're used to, or I can do it in a totally different way, like I did 
when I brought the Hebrews out of Egypt. I can make your food come down from heaven and give you clothes and shoes that don't wear out. And so, you know, I just started to say that to people. And I mean, it really changed my perspective about, you know, what do we do? Do we switch our allocation to more bonds than stocks? And, you know, there are some adjustments to make from time to time. And we have to do what we know. Mm -hmm. We have to do what's in front of us and what is tangible. Because, you know, you can't stop the United States from going to a digital currency. You know, you can't. We can't drain the swamp. We already tried that, you know. (laughs) Hopefully we'll keep trying. But there's some things that we just don't have uh, control of. And so we really have to focus. I think that's why the scripture says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. Right. Stay in today. Yeah. Do what you can do right in front of you. And that is be faithful in your giving. That is be about the Father's work. That is... um, you know, invest in a biblically responsible way. Put God first. Put Christ at the center. Don't fund darkness. You know, get the low-hanging fruit. Do the things that you can do and leave the, you know, the big things to God. You know, I think so many people uh, have adopted that when they probably aren't aware that they are thinking as worldly as what they really are, where their trust and their hope is what they've accumulated rather than in the Lord, because it was, it's less than 100 years ago that America went through the Great Depression. And I remember growing up, now I'm old enough, uh, that my grandparents who went through the Depression and watching the mindset of them, and uh, Cindy's uh, grandmother that we used to visit in Arkansas would not ever throw anything away. I mean, she was of that generation where they rendered everything. And even on cereal boxes, we were there one time and I looked behind the refrigerator that was out on her back porch and stuffed back there, she would literally cut the backs off of cardboard boxes of cereal containers and just saved it. Mm. And I don't know what she was saving it for. (laughs) It had no apparent purpose, but that's the mindset that you don't want to ever throw anything away. That was less than a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. And we could see something like that happen again. Our hope and trust has got to be not in America's strength as a nation, but in the God who is over all nations. That's just something we have to do. gave us the nation. (laughs) He did. He He did. did. What are the distinctives about what you get to do that you enjoy the most? I think my favorite thing to do is to talk about stewardship and creative ways to give and just to help people think outside of the box, Um, like estate planning, for example. Most people, um, whenever you name beneficiaries, when you usually sign up for your 401k plan or your retirement plan at work on a lunch break and they sign you up real quick and say, well, who's, who's your wife? And that's usually as far as, or who's your spouse? And that's as far as they get. But, and people haven't really broken out of that thinking. They go maybe and get a will and, you know, get some things put in place. And it's so, as we're um, talking about the structure of accounts, you know, who's your beneficiary? Well, my wife and then my kids. And then we, then we start to talk about giving, which Mm -hmm. is something that, you know, most secular financial planners don't do. You know, and so we we get the blueprint. Well, I give 10 percent to my church and then I have all of these other ministries that I support on a regular basis. And then I just simply ask the question, is there any giving that you're doing now that you want to continue when you go home to be with the Lord? And all of a sudden a light bulb comes on and they're like, I've never even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. And we should be, because if we believe that everything belongs to God, then we should at least ask him what he wants us to do with his stuff when we don't need it anymore. Yeah, and that reminds me of what my friend one time who had just heard a pastor preach about that very thing, about everything that we have, our our houses, our cars, our possessions, they all really belong to the Lord. And someone, he walked out to his car that was sitting on the street, parked on the street, and somebody had backed into it. And he looked at it and he stopped and he said the first thing that came to his mind was, God, look what somebody did to your car. <laughs> now that's, that's being in your right mind. <laughs> that's right. And I don't know that I would have had that response, but I'm really glad he did. And I, I think the wisdom that can come to us in that, I, I think what your show does on a regular basis, it draws the attention away from the fact that we think that we are in control. Uh, it draws attention away from our need to trust in, let's say, good decisions that the Fed is making, which 
that might be uh, that might be a, a mismatch of words right there. <laughs> I don't know that that's even possible anymore, but it draws it away and puts it back where it should go, and that's on the Lord, and that we can have faith and confidence in God even in perilous times. Yeah, you know we're constantly we just want people to have a heart check because it's so easy to make other things God. It is so easy to trust. I mean, we even printed on our money, right? In God we trust. But it's so easy to um, drift from that and put our trust in our money and our things that, that we need. I mean, it's such a scary thought for most Christians to think that our country is going to go onto a digital currency. We're going to lose freedom. We're going to lose um, control. They can debank us. They can shut off our our ability to buy and sell. But Guess what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it says that's what's going to happen in the Bible. Yeah, and that's right. You know, and as you were saying that earlier and talking about this, when you said that we really can't stop America from going to a digital currency, I, I have to be reminded in my own heart, and I think we all need to be rem- reminded that things like this have been taught and preached about for years, my entire life. I've heard about the mark of the beast, for example, and buying and selling and how it wouldn't be possible and how it's going to change. And now we're living in a day where some of those things are materializing. Mm -hmm. They're becoming real. Mm -hmm. We need to see it. And we also then with that have to remember God told us that this was going to happen. Right. And, you know, we we have to constantly be reminded that there's nothing that happens in this earth or on this earth that has not past the desk of God first. Right. He knows everything that's going to happen and he's got a plan for it. So, you know, I don't see him stressing. I don't see him worried about it. So why should I be? Well, tell me a little bit about the dynamics of the show. Uh, right now, you're doing this, the show pared down from a three-hour show to a one-hour show on from 9 to 10. And with that, I know that you've got Seth, who is on as uh, a, a, a producer, I'm assuming, right? The producer as well as a, a co-host at times, and sometimes hosting when you're out. Uh, what, what's, uh, what are the changes that you see and maybe some things that are coming up that we haven't yet seen? Well... I don't, God hasn't revealed much of that to me. Um, when I first agreed to step into the role, they asked me, you know, is this, is this something that you would consider doing long-term? And I said, you know, I said, I never, I never saw this coming. <laughs> I never, I never, I never imagined. It was that, a big shock. It, right. That, that all of this would have transpired. I said, all I know is that when I heard about biblically responsible investing and I knew that the Lord was asking me to do it, I said yes. I said, so my plan is just to say yes every time God asked me to do something. Mm. So for now, he's telling me to um, focus on what's right in front of us, and that's just to make financial issues, uh, the one-hour show, the best that we can make it, to continue the strategy, to um, to start uh, being active in a secession plan, you know, to, to mentor other people. Because we to, learned that's important. <laughs> it yeah. is. When, even if you are not expecting it, it's it's important to have that. It is. It yeah, is. That's great. So. Shanna Bird, who is host of Financial Issues Live, heard across the Shepherd Radio Network every morning, Monday through Friday from 9 to 10, heard right here on The Shepherd. We'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Well, for me, it's the final day of the NRB, and I'm here with Larry Ragland. Larry is a pastor who has many years in ministry in the Alabama-Birmingham 
Birmingham, Alabama. I keep calling it the English version after having been there more recently. Uh, He's married to Sandy. They have two daughters. He founded Solid Rock Church in Birmingham, and they have been in the same church. This is quite a a statistic, if I've ever heard one, the same church for 25 years. 28 years. It's now 28 it's 28 years. 28 years. years now, oh, yes. we got to update, yeah, the, update bio the bio here. Yes. Yeah. 28 years. Larry yes. Ragland, thank yes. you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It is a true honor, Mike. I really appreciate it. Well, first of all, give us an update on what you thought about this year's NRB. Yes. Well, it's my second NRB. My first NRB, I was just a, a spectator. I was just walking around, and that's when I met my now publisher, Leadership Books, and uh, they and showed them our book, and, and the process from that NRB to now has been getting the book ready. It's been a great relationship with them, but this NRB has been phenomenal. I mean, I've had opportunities to meet so many people. It's so exciting to see when you look at the world and the condition of the world that we're in right now, and it just seems like everything's just falling apart. There's, that you see the body of Christ rising up and there's, there's voices from every walk of life, every denomination. They're taking advantage of every medium that's available, whether it be podcasts, whether it be radio, whether it be television, streaming, video, uh, writing books, all this. People are still excited about preaching the gospel. And that just gets me as excited as a pastor and, of course, as an author. I think about what Paul said. How can they believe in what they have not heard? Mm. How can they mm-hmm. hear without a preacher? And sometimes that preacher's on a pulpit. Sometimes that preacher's in a book. Sometimes that preacher's on a radio. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So NRB has been very exciting for me. You know, years ago I heard this phrase. and He said ever every generation needs someone to write the word, mm. someone to preach the word, and someone to sing the word. That is so good. It was a powerful yes. quote I heard years yes. ago. And what you're doing is basically writing the, the testimony. Amen. The Bible talks about the fact that we overcome them by yes. the blood of the lamb and yes. the testimony, our own testimony. Absolutely. So this is really what you're doing. And your book is coming at uh, a really important time Amen. when our culture yeah. is reeling in yeah. many ways. Like you said, it feels like it's overnight, yeah. but I know it's been taking a while to get to where it is right, right now. Right. Tell us about your book. What? Uh, it, it's First of all, I just got to say, you were kind of walking around with a manuscript last year. Is that what I'm understanding? Uh, well, I had I had previously self-published my book, but I had no, and it really had nothing to do with it. Nothing, it really never went anywhere because uh-huh. I was not with a publisher. And uh, I, so you own the rights to everything still. Yeah, I still I still own the rights to everything even yeah. now. But uh, as as I was walking around, the name of my book is "I See Greatness in You," and I actually had a shirt on that said "I See Greatness in You" that I had made. And I, on the last day, I made the turn, and I, the, the president and the owner of Leadership Books was standing there. I didn't know that was at the time. He said, that? so you see greatness in me. He said, uh, so, okay, why do you see greatness in me? And I said to him, I, I didn't have never met him, obviously. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Are you creating the image of God? He said, of course I am. I said, well, that's how I see greatness in you, because greater is he this within you than he this within the world. And I said, I've wrote a book called I See Greatness in You, and it is my purpose to see that greatness that God has put in you to come out, not you, your personal greatness, yeah. but the greatness that God put in you. And he's big said, difference right there. Big difference. Yeah. And he goes, Hey, come over here, man. Talk to me about this book. <laughs> and uh, next thing I know, he, he said, send me your manuscript. I sent him the manuscript. And by, by that night, he had sent me an email saying, we need to talk to you when I get home. So that's how I made it back. So for one year I met him next year, I'm in his booth signing books. So that is a quite a saga, man. Amen. Amen. That is so great. So tell me a little bit about now the book itself. Okay. You, I know, obviously, you've given us the title yes. and the theme yes. along with that. Yes. What is uh, the motivation that God put in your heart okay. that drives all of this? Okay, so it's called I See Greatness in You, and I, I say this all the time. It's five words that changed my life. And a lot of times people will read the title, and they'll think it's some kind of self-help or self-promotional book. It's nothing about that. If they'll take the time to open up the first page, they'll see that it's not anything about pride or selfishness. It's about five words that was said to me that changed my life. I was raised in a very abusive home. Uh, my father abused me physically, injured me several times. Oh, my goodness. Uh, threatened my life. Um, one scene that I talk about in the book uh, it was difficult to write about. When I was age 10, he put a double-barrel shotgun into his mouth, loaded it in front of me, and put my fingers on the trigger and begged me to blow his brains out. No way. I was 10 oh, years I'm old. I'm so sorry. I was 10 years old. That, so you can imagine that kind of stuff traumatically damaged me. So so I went through a, a very difficult life, and, and I detail all of it, very transparent in the book about my life. 
And and uh, by the time I became a teenager, I had learned really by his example of how to be a manipulator and, quite frankly, a pathological liar. Isn't it sad that we pick up on those we pick up. It is absolutely bad traits? True. Mike, it is so true because what I found is the very things that you say that you never will be, you end up being exactly without right. God. Yep. And so by the and hate it all the time. Hate too. it all the time. Yeah. And, and and well, it's basically a judgment. When you speak out of your mouth a judgment over someone. The Bible tells us. What you sow, you shall reap. And when you speak a judgment against another individual, another human, even if they've done you wrong, without God in your life, it's inevitable it's going to come back on you. And I didn't know it, and it creeps up on you. And most people that are listening to this, they they may have experienced that too, and they don't see it coming. They don't know mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. So here I am. I'm, I'm 17, 18 years old. I'm the jock in high school. I'm popular. I'm All of this is a facade because I'm covering the pain of what's inside of me, the truth of what happened to me. Well, during that process, I convinced a little 18-year-old girl uh, to fall in love with this guy named Larry. And uh, And she's sitting right here. She's sitting right here beside me, the love of my life. That's awesome. uh, She's 18 years old, and she agreed to marry me. She graduated high school. She's right out of high school. I, I thought I had successfully pulled this off because she did not know the real me. I, I was, it, I, she had never seen the, she never knew the truth of my story or the pain of my past. And right before we got married, I got arrested. And when I got arrested, I was standing before the judge and she was standing outside at 18 years old. And I realized this is it. This is over. Everything my dad said about me, everything that he said, I was going to be a failure. And sorry, I still get emotional thinking about it. He, he, he said, I would be nothing. He said, I would, never amount to anything and i knew it was going to be happening today because my one chance of having something good i had just ruined it so i walked outside and i said to sandy i said sandy i want you to turn around and walk away i want you to take the ring and i want you to leave and find a man that's worthy of you because i am not that man and uh and and she said to me on it's just like it was yesterday but this was she was 18 and i was 20 and she grabbed my 20 year old hand and she said i'm not leaving you larry and i said why would you stay with me you know the truth now i'm not the man you thought i was and she said because when i look into your eyes i see greatness in you larry and that's why it's called i see greatness in you and it changed my life my it changed my life i had never had anybody say that to me in my life Mm. and uh I was stunned, and she said, I'm not leaving until you see it. Mm. I'm staying with you. And uh, it caused me to see. I turned to God not long after that, gave my life to Christ. We got married not long after that, four months with no desire for ministry at all. I was just going to be the typical family, happy family. Never thought we'd ever be in ministry. And four months into our marriage, we were youth pastors. Two years after being married, we were planning churches. And now we've been at the same church for 28 years. And at the time of this recording, uh, this is the week of of my anniversary. Tomorrow well, is our wonderful. 34th anniversary. And it all began with five words. I see greatness in you. Yes. The power of words. Yes. The power of words spoken. I, I think dads, moms, we yes. don't realize it. I think we forget it. Yes. That they carry more weight than we could ever even Absolutely. comprehend yes. in the lives of our children. Without a doubt. Now, whatever happened with your dad, I got to ask that question. Well... I detail all of it in the book. I mean, I, it's, it was a very painstaking process because I, but, you know, spoiler alert, uh, we never really had a relationship. We, he tried a couple of times, but he was just not in him. And uh, so he's he's gone on now. He's not here with us. But, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, it was never really restored. But God became a father to the fatherless in my life. And, you know, I detail in there that there's the incredible events that happened in my life. If I didn't live them, I wouldn't even believe them. It's just mind-boggling that um, at one point later on after my mom finally left him when I was around age 10, I was almost 11 at the time of this, he found us and, you know, came in and threatened our lives and threatened to kill himself in front of me. And, and he, of course, he didn't. It was all manipulation, but I was almost 11, you know, so it felt real to me. Yeah. And uh, as as he was leaving, screaming, cursing, I screamed out to my mother, I hate that man. I wished he wasn't my father. And that's without thinking, my mother said, he's not your father. And it just devastated me. Oh, I fell to the floor. That's a double whammy. It's a double whammy. Oh. And uh, she for the next two hours, I was 10 and a half years old, she sit and began to tell me about this man that was out there that was my father. 
And um, so, wow. But, but it was, but at the end of it, I mean, she made him think, sound like he was the greatest human being to ever exist on this world, and that she loved him and all this. He loved me, and she just couldn't make it, make herself leave my named father. Well, for from age ten to age seventeen, I kept that a secret, never told anyone, and uh, and I detail in the book the incredible way that without even searching, mm-hmm. I found my biological father. And uh, he was everything that she had made him out to be. He was larger than life, and uh, but he was in my life for six months. And at the end of that six months, he he looked at me and said, "You're a punk kid, and I don't want punk kids in my life." And he walked away from me. A triple whammy. Yep. So that was my that was what led me up to, and be, made me what I was. But I want to say to all the listeners that through it all, I've been dropped by two fathers. Yeah. Two fathers crushed. But I have a father that has never dropped me. Yeah, he's, he's faithful. He's faithful. Yeah, and he's changed my life. But but you know, it it took Sandy being used by God. I've asked her so many times. She's eighteen. Think about that. My eighteen, right out of high school. It's amazing how mature these ladies can be at eighteen. Exactly. Right? She was a kid still. And I said, yeah. What in the world made you say I see greatness in you? And she always says, It wasn't me that said it, Larry. It was God. God used my mouth to say it to you. Mm. It's wonderful. So when you meet people, and I know you've got to have this, maybe call it a, a godly given radar, you must know and yeah. recognize yeah. in people when you see the kind of stuff that you live through, yeah. uh, what are your first words to somebody that you know, they may have a facade, they may be putting up a front, yeah. but you know that they're really hurting on the inside. What do you say to them? Well, that's a great question. I, I would say that... It, my response to that usually is depending on the environment that I'm encountering them in. If it's an intimate relationship, like a, a conversation where me and you just sitting across the table like this, and I sort of sense that. A lot of times I've just I'm old enough now. I'm just a little bit bolder than I used to be. I'll just I'll just sort of say, "Hold up, brother. Time out. Just a second. Time out." And I'll just I'll just I'll get serious and not be judgmental. I'll be saying, "Come on, be real with me. You can be real with me. You don't have to pretend." Man, tell me the truth. Are you hurting? And almost. Every time when I get wow. real with them like that, yeah. I'm talking about grown men just begin to cry and they just, they just begin to say, man, yeah. I'm falling apart. Yeah. I'm, I'm, my marriage is in trouble. My children are leaving, you know, and it's, it's just, it's always just so powerful because then I share my story and they get emotional. And I say, look, man, I was the poster child. I was the example of somebody should be in prison. Yeah. I mean, I've not been dropped by one father. I was dropped by two fathers. And, and you know, but but God has saved my life. And yeah. he gave me a beautiful wife, a beautiful family. Yeah. Let's let's just, let's take care of this thing right now and do the one thing that's, it's not the only thing you got to do because there's steps and decisions and things you got to do to keep yourself right. But the first and most important thing you got to do is you got to surrender it all. Mm-hmm. You got to lay it all on the table and be real. Not with me, be real with God. Because yeah. God already knows the truth. That's the thing. We continue to live facades in front of everybody else, but what we're really doing is also pretending to be something, and we think we get away with, with God. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's crazy how we think that we can hide things from God. We'll pretend to be one thing in front of everybody else, and we'll be the real thing in silent, in secret, and think we got away with it, yeah. and not realizing that God sees in secret. Yeah. And so, so that was my purpose in writing this book, was that I realized I was blessed to have Sandy, but not many people have a Sandy. And one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, there's really only two ways people ever see greatness inside themselves. One is they decide to see it on their own. And that always ends badly because that ends in pride Mm. because they automatically, oh, I'm great. I'm great. And it ends in pride, which is sin. But the real way that God reveals greatness in people is when he, when we allow God to use others to see it in us and let them see it and pull it out of us. And that's what I needed in Sandy. And what I've learned over the years in ministry, there's nothing more powerful than somebody affirming you mm-hmm. and seeing yeah. that gift that's in you. Yeah. So I say, for those that don't have a Sandy, I want this book to be your Sandy. I want you to read this book and know that what God did for me with this 18-year-old girl, he has done for me over and over again throughout this 
throughout my life. And this book can do that for you. Well, I can see why when you met the publisher last year, I can see why just from sitting here talking to you, he would say, hey, we got to talk <laughs> because this story, it's, it's compelling. It is, I think, attractive to people who may, you may never on the, on the front side of meeting them know that it's touching something deeply inside because most people do hide away yes. in their heart yes. the pain that you've, you're describing right now. Yes. And more people than not, especially in this culture that we're living yes. today. And one, one thing that I, I've got just a couple of minutes left here with you, I've got to ask this question, what safeguards and how did you and Sandy go about uh, putting those safeguards in place with your own children as you became a dad yeah. to avoid becoming the kind of dad that your dad was to you? Yeah. Well, uh, one thing is going back to Sandy again, thank God for that godly wife. Uh, she's really good at keeping me in check uh, when I would go in a certain direction. But beyond that, this is one of the things that I've always said is that, you know, I'm a pastor, been a pastor basically in some way or shape or form, beginning with a youth pastor and then a senior pastor, our entire marriage. Uh, but I say this in Every pastor needs a pastor. And what I mean by that is everybody needs a spiritual Everybody, father. I everybody, agree. Everybody, yes. everybody. And a lot of pastors, I'll be honest with you, a lot of pastors, maybe you're a pastor listening to this, and you really stop and think, do I really have a pastor? Do I, do I, re I got connections in my denomination. I got, do I really have someone that I can trust, that can pour into my life, that can hold me accountable, mm -hmm. that can cover me? Do I really have that? If I don't have that, that's dangerous. It's very dangerous because no man is an island. So what I've tried to do most all my life is make sure I surround myself with men of God. And I, and I have certain special men of God that have covered me, that speak into my life, that I've said, look, I need you to correct me. Mm -hmm. I, I, my, my true spiritual father, I, I call him my pastor, my spiritual father, he told me one day, he said, early on in my, in my marriage, in my relationship, he said, now, do you give me a right to speak into your family? I said, yes, sir. One day he called me and I said, hello. He goes, hand the phone to your wife. And I said, what? He goes, hand the phone to your wife and get out of the room. And I was like, that's, that, Pastor, are you serious? She goes, do you trust me? I said, of course I trust you. So I said, I said, hey, it's Pastor. He wants to talk to you and tell me to get out of the room. And I walked out of the room. And for a few minutes, and she motioned me back in and just got off the phone and handed it back to me. And, he, yeah. and she said, I said, what did he say? He said, he asked me, when's the last time your kids were in your lap playing with you? Mm-hmm. Wow. When's the last time that he just came up and kissed you for no reason but just tell you he loves you? I said, what'd you tell him? And she said, I told him the truth. It's been a while since you gave me a kiss like that. So it was funny, but I love that I have men in my life that can yeah. hold me accountable. And I encourage every man and every woman that's listening to this, wow. make sure you have accountability. I love your story, my man. I Thank really do. And I pray God. your book just goes far and wide. And uh, we'll be praying for it. Larry Ragland from Birmingham, Alabama. What's the name of the church? Solid Rock Church. Solid Rock Church. Solid Rock Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And if I can, if they want to know more about our ministry, LarryRagland.com. LarryRagland.com. Thank you and Sandy for being here with me today. It's been a joy to, Thank to you meet so you. Much for us. And God bless you for your book. Thank you. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. These kind of conferences, such as it is at the NRB, afford many different people from backgrounds of all sorts to come together. With me right now, somebody that's actually been on my program once before, and I really enjoyed the chat we had that day with Reggie Littlejohn. Reggie is the president of the Women's Rights Without Frontiers and the co-founder of the Sovereignty Coalition. It's so nice to have you, Reggie. Thank you so much for having me. You know, you're here. Tell me a little bit about the message that you're bringing in all of your interviews here at the uh, at this particular conference. What's what is it that's on your heart? Well, the main message that I'm bringing today is that the United States needs to withdraw from the World Health Organization, and that's the reason I founded, I co-founded the Sovereignty Coalition because the World Health Organization right now, at the same time as the NRB, is having its annual meeting and they're negotiating a couple of agreements that would destroy U.S. sovereignty 
and also our personal medical freedom. And the only way we're going to not have them landing on us is if we withdraw from the World Health Organization. Now, that's something that might be a far stretch for this current administration, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. President Trump actually did withdraw from the World Health Organization. But the thing is that it takes a year. To, you have to give them a year's notice. So by the time that year was up, Biden was already in office mm -hmm. and he just reinstated us. So we don't ex unless there is significant public pressure, the, you know, the Biden administration is not going to do it. But I want to explain why, you know, why we feel that this is really necessary right now. So the World Health Organization is, is negotiating these two instruments. One is amendments to the international health regulations. The other one is the pandemic treaty. If you put the two of those together, oh. it, 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 it creates a situation where the World Health Organization is no longer an advisory body, but it, is, it can mandate yeah. how the United States would the handle... The dictation of, of, of the dictating body. Right, like a dictator, okay? Yeah. They can dictate how the United States handles our own health crises. And that is, that destroys our national sovereignty. We should be free to decide how we handle our medical crises. Um, and not only that, but they can do it not when there's just a pandemic, but when there's a potential pandemic. Mm -hmm. And they can do it not just on human health, they can do it on human health, animal health, plant health, or the environment. Mm -hmm. So they, So what they really want, what they are pushing for, is to have control over every aspect of life on Earth. And given how terribly they botched the coronavirus pandemic. Oh my goodness. I, you know, yeah. why, would, why would we want to give them dictatorial power? And yet, I think the average American feels so helpless right now. Now, you talked about rising up and bringing pressure. That's right. And so what are the steps that the average American, our listeners who are listening to this, what is it that they can do that is tangible and will actually make a dent in what we're talking about. Well, we've already had a big success. So this is the SovereigntyCoalition.org. Go to SovereigntyCoalition.org. We just launched this a couple of months ago. It's a very new initiative. Two months ago, basically no one in Congress, or this, this issue had very low visibility in Congress. There was no energy behind it. So. We, ha we launched an initiative where people sign the sovereignty declaration and then they can click a button and it will go to their representatives, their congressmen, their senators, mm -hmm. and also to the Biden administration um, and the leadership in the House and the Senate. And we had over 300,000 actions taken. Wow. That's emails and phone calls. And what that did is it moved this from being a non-issue to the fact that last Wednesday, there was a major congressional press conference on Capitol Hill in which 18 congressional representatives got up and said, the United States needs to withdraw from the World Health Organization. That's wonderful. And that's the kind of representation that our country was supposed to be uh, all about in, in Washington. The, the people that are sent there to represent the people, we the people. And so if we the people speak up, it, it, it might just make a big difference in this. And I think it's important, Reggie, as we talk about this, uh, that for us at our radio station, we're not a political arm. We don't have a political program. But that's not to say we don't talk about things that have political overtones to them. And we're talking about something right now. What you're talking about, if this were to pass and America were to lose its sovereignty to the World Health Organization, that breaks down to every individual family's freedoms. That's right. So this is the thing. We also say that if the World Health Organization becomes basically a world dictator on health, it will, it will destroy the sacred relationship between every person and their doctor because doctors will no longer be free to prescribe for each person what's important, what, what, what would help keep them healthy. Instead, it will be mandated by the World Health Organization, which could do things like requiring vaccines. Right. Mm. And then if you put that together with um, an enforcement, people say, well, how are they going to enforce this? Well, they can enforce it the way that they enforce it in Canada, which is the Canadian truckers. They had a strike against vaccine mandates 
and the Canadian government cut them off from their credit cards and their bank accounts. Yes. Same thing can happen in the United States. That's how they can enforce it. Many people are fearing that very thing. Right. So if you don't want you know, Xi Jinping basically sitting in your doctor's office with you, telling your doctor you know, what, what he has to prescribe for you or she has to prescribe for you, go to SovereigntyCoalition.org and sign the declaration and then click the box to send that to your congressional representatives and, then, and also the congressional leadership. It is that simple. Really, it is that simple. Just go to a website and then through that website, one site, they can send it to all of their representatives. Yeah, it's a very powerful program that we have um, that enables, enables you to do that. And also, the, I, I want to say, people comfort themselves by saying, oh, well, that sounds terrible, but it's unconstitutional or um, the Senate, it will never pass the Senate, so I don't really have to worry about it. You can't comfort yourself by telling yourself that. That's right. Because Senator Ron Johnson, about six weeks ago, ran an amendment to say anything, um, any agreement coming out of the World Health Organization can only be implemented upon the advice and consent of the Senate. That's constitutional, right? The Senate itself voted it down. So, and the vote went pretty much straight down party lines mm-hmm, sure. to the extent that yeah. Senator Johnson sent out a tweet saying, I feel so sad that the Democrats don't care about our national sovereignty. Uh, but so we can't, we can't rest. This is not a time to rest. This is not a time to just sort of say, well, I'm not going to worry about that because it'll never happen. It can happen. And we really need to rise up now. I think it's so incredible that the organization that was behind the masks and all of these things of the COVID, which most people still twitch if you just bring up lockdown or 2020 or COVID crisis or coronavirus. You mentioned any of those terms and our eyes start twitching. (laughs) Yet we're willing, it appears, governmentally speaking, we're willing to throw away what has been fought for and died for in this nation and give our rights away to some organization across the pond and let them dictate to us. Right. And then another problem is that in the, in the um, pandemic treaty, there's a big section on surveillance and another big section on censorship. So in order to, the, the pretext is, oh, we need to know right away whether there's any kind of a health issue. That's their, that's their pretext to surveil all human health, right. animal health, plant health, and the environment. Um, and then they also have a censorship where if anybody says something that they disagree with, they will be censored. Um, so if we don't oppose this now, we're going to be living in a biotech security state. Right. Because, we, because as soon as you censor something, excuse me, as soon as you disagree with what the WHO is saying, You'll be censored and you could be cut off, cut off from your access to your credit cards yeah. and your bank account. Yeah, and there's a lot of people talking about that. Franklin Graham mentioned that last night. Oh, wow. He, talking about, he believes a storm is on its way mm-hmm. and we need to get ready for it. And what you're talking about is how to get ready for that particular storm, that particular part of the storm, where it has to do with our individual rights and our uh, sovereignty as a nation. That's right. And our personal medical freedom. Give us those websites one more time. Okay, so the main website for this issue is SovereigntyCoalition.org. SovereigntyCoalition.org. And so anybody can go to that, SovereigntyCoalition.org, and then sign up. Just follow the prompts, sign up, and then it will be directed to the appropriate senators and representatives, both. Right, and it will also go to the Senate or and the House leadership, and will also go to members of the Biden administration. So it's a very powerful tool, and that's how we got it uh, got the issue to go from being invisible to being a major congressional yeah. press conference. And that's really a, a no small feat, right there. No, it's it a miracle, done. I think. Yeah, I agree, Reggie. It's so nice, Reggie Littlejohn. So nice to uh, have you with us here today, and we thank you for that. Thank you so very much. That was Reggie Littlejohn from the NRB meeting that I was able to go to. We'll have more interviews the next two days, and then we'll be wrapping up on Wednesday all of the interviews made at the NRB.
Well, Albert Moeller spoke today on the briefing about something that we've all heard a lot about, and that is the debt ceiling, and he has some interesting thoughts about it. Well, we have just been through a massive national drama. That drama reached a fever pitch toward the end of last week, and then all of a sudden the drama reached its climax when the House of Representatives passed under Republican leadership, under the leadership of a Republican Speaker of the House, passed legislation to raise the debt ceiling after there had been a negotiation between the Republican Speaker and the Democratic President of the United States, Joe Biden. The Biden administration, the president himself, has said that he would not negotiate until at the end he and the Speaker, rather personally, with their teams, reached an agreement. There was a negotiation, and then there was the high drama, the tension as to whether or not the Speaker would get enough votes in the House to pass the bill. He did, but that meant an awful lot of Democratic votes and the loss of a lot of Republican votes. And then the question is, what would the Senate do? And then the Senate did exactly what the Senate, according to the script, had to do. The Senate also passed the legislation, but with senators on the right and senators on the left saying, no, it was the center that held. But then Joe Biden, the president of the United States, the Democrat who had built his political brand on deal making and his ability to pull a brand out of the fire at the last minute, Joe Biden celebrated the victory by announcing to a nationwide television audience from the Oval Office, the first address this president had given from the Oval Office, he announced that he would be signing the bill. He did so the next day, and disaster was averted. The lights did not go out. The nation's debt limit was not exceeded. The nation did not default on its debt. There was salvation at last. But, and it may seem a strange time to raise this question, but I think actually it's precisely the right time to raise this question. What if it was all just for drama? What if it was all just basically a dramatic presentation delivered to us by politicians, aided and abetted by the media? What if it was all a show? Now, to be sure, I want to be clear, there's more to it than a show. But when it comes to politics, there is never less to it than a show. As a matter of fact, going all the way back to the ancient Greeks and Romans, there was the understanding that statesmanship requires no small amount of dramatic ability, even showmanship. Sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference. Sometimes this would lead to a certain cynical understanding of politics. And sometimes a cynical understanding of politics is exactly what honesty requires. In this sense, I am reminded of a line from the comedian Lily Tomlin who said back in the 1970s, I'm trying to be cynical, but it's hard to keep up. Sometimes when it comes to the nation's politics, it is hard to keep up when it comes to trying to be cynical. That was Reverend Al Mohler from Southern Seminary and his podcast called The Briefing. Highly recommended. Always a great listen every morning from Reverend Al Mohler. And that's all the time we have for today. We'll see you next time right here on the Shepherd Radio Network.